0: and Scholars. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm really excited to welcome my friend and colleague, Moshumi Ghosh. She is a sex-positive advocate, author, film creator, and licensed therapist currently overseeing a group of awesome therapists and coaches who, like all of us, are working virtually. Uh, And they give special attention to underrepresented communities such as the LGBT folks, kink poly and non-monogamous folks people of color and sex workers and today we're going to be talking about burnout yay yay (laughs) welcome (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you it's nice
1: to be here and to talk about something valid (laughs) something
0: near and dear to our hearts (laughs) yes yes very true okay so when you say burnout, how, how would you define burnout? Well, I think
1: it's funny because there's a special kind of burnout right now that's happening because of COVID obviously. Um, and But for me also, because I've been at like a, a therapist in private practice doing direct service for 14 years. And so finally it feels like it's time to make a shift. And I've known that I was burnt out for many years. And it's funny because you think, oh, I'm just going to taper things off and the burnout gets better, but it's actually a lot deeper than that.
0: So So when you said you noticed you were starting to get burned out a couple years ago, like what are some of the signs and symptoms that was like making you think that?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, because I, I definitely was burning the candle at both ends, having work being work as a therapist being sort of my bread and butter and my livelihood, and then I do creative things. So having all of these creative projects, and honestly, being doing the creative things really fuels the work as a therapist. So that could help, actually help you with the burnout it, at some it point. It does, but like you're you doing, you have to. Because your livelihood is like this one thing, all of the creative things, you're just kind of like trying to squeeze them in, you know, where you can. And so that actually is, is kind of stressful, right? And so what I would notice was I could like, so therapy session is 45 minutes to 50 minutes. It be, started to become really hard for me to sit through a session. I couldn't, um, I couldn't wait to like stand up I wouldn't, couldn't, couldn't sit in the session that much longer. I just wanted to like interrupt my clients, you know, not tell them, you know, not necessarily tell them things like shut up, but,
0: (laughs) but in your head, you were like, I
1: I started having moments where I'm like, would notice myself getting really checked out. And then I'd be at the end of my day, I'd be really frustrated. I would want to, you know, like partake in a lot of alcohol and drugs. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with like, a small amount of alcohol, alcohol and drug and and recreational drug use but like i really just wanted to self medicate and like check out and check out and the weekend would come and and like i and you know you're a therapist too so you know this we don't work a traditional work week we don't work a traditional 40 hours and i often tell this to my associates that i train that for every therapy hour that you do it counts as 3 hours of um, emotional labor and time and things like that. So if you're seeing 20 clients a week, you're doing more like a 60 hour, 60 work, week. hour work week. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and a lot of people
1: love that. A lot of people really thrive on that, but you have to know that that's kind of what you're going, going into. And sort of just like, it's not three hours for everybody. You know, some people love it, you know, some people can pack in thirty clients in a week, and they thrive on it, and they really enjoy it. Those people, I often worry: like, are they going to burn out? Are they going to be like this for the long term? I often wonder. Do you um, think they're just like different resilience, or are they better with boundaries? Or honestly, I don't know that either of those are true. I absolutely think that. Both of those might be true, um, but it could also be like this: they're just not totally in tune with how it's affecting them. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what feels like for me the most accurate because it feels like how could you do that for thirty hours a week for thirty sessions? I think people that do psychoanalysis, I think they only really work with like one client a day, right? An hour a day of analysis right something like that i don't remember exactly but
0: but not just in in our field i mean this is a common thing i'm hearing from a lot of my sex worker clients is like how do you how do you maintain what you need financially to survive while also take care of yourself because like yeah it'd be great to see one client a day and unless you're charging a shit ton of money like <laughs> how do we make that sustainable right right
1: yeah, that's that's the tricky part about I think this field is that maybe it's not sustainable, and maybe it should be seen as something um, more like like adjunct work, right? Like you see, maybe like your therapist, your main job is therapist, but you do some teaching, you do some writing, you do some public speaking, and you have a caseload, a small caseload. That seems to be a lot more manageable, and I think what more people actually really do. But I don't think that they actually tell people that.
0: So the first things you started noticing, you said, was just, like, counting down the minutes till the sessions were over, feeling drained at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. wanting to self-medicate more to, like, numb out, not just, like, hey, we're having a good time, anything else that you remember well, and pushing the pushing the the good times to the limit right i only have
1: so many hours to have fun to have fun so i better drink this entire bottle of whiskey do all of the drugs that are available and i won't come out of this until sunday night
0: when i have to go back to work and then the and then the dread of preparing for that after the come down i'm sure is doesn't feel good I say I'm sure because I know it doesn't feel good yeah yeah well and I think the other thing too and and you
1: may resonate with this because you have a podcast so you have an opportunity to educate on a regular basis is that in therapy we are working with their like one-on-one with their particular issue right so we're doing a lot of the listening We're taking in a lot of data on a constant basis. And I think if we don't have a place to put that, to, to let it out, um, at least this was my experience, um, that it it became a problem. And so that's why when I started doing my YouTube channel, it was nice to have this outlet, but I honestly felt like I was verbal diarrhea on those, on those channels, on those shows, because I had, I had so much like stored information.
0: So a lot of my clients, um, have been saying that they're, you know, not feeling super sexual, especially the, the sex workers who are feeling pressured to have sex for their career. Um, is that a, a thing that happens with burnout stuff too? Yeah. So I feel like your,
1: your sex drive is the first thing to go when you have burnout because there's, it's burnout is a form of depression. It's like, you know, it's probably very similar to depression if it had a DSM diagnosis, right? um and so sex your sex drive is the first thing to go ironically though um and my partner you know is very tries to like keep keep me uh, reminds me like <laughs> <laughs> because he's like remember so we can have sex <laughs> you know sex is like a huge huge de-stressor um it's a great way to get a, a like a hormone kick um to get some of those endorphins going it's you know, like, you're not in the mood to have sex, you're not in the mood to do it. But if you can bring yourself to, like, slowly get into it, um, I think it can be a big part of your healing process, right? Like sexuality can be healing. But I think because of the way that we are conditioned around sex, it's the first thing that we just, we just don't want it. It's too much work. Yeah, it feels like a task it feels like work. Yeah. So if we kind of we have to, it it was great for me too, because it's forced me to relearn my relationship with sex and sexuality.
0: So for folks tuning in for the first time, you might be hearing this for the first time, but for listeners for a long time, I I talk a lot about responsive desire. So not in a rapey way to say that you should like force yourself to do sex when you don't want to do sex, but like Sometimes you just have to be open to the idea of getting turned on. And then once your body starts getting aroused, then you're like, oh, I I do want to have sex. Or like, I do remember, you know, why I like this. So you're never, you're never not glad that you didn't do
1: it. (laughs) That's like three (laughs) negatives. If if it's, if it's good sex, (laughs) if it's good, but even if it's a masturbation session, right? Even if it's, even if it's you by yourself um, I feel like you're always glad you did it.
0: Yeah. As long as it's quality, I'm definitely feel better afterwards. Same is true for like hanging out with people during this time. Mm -hmm. I'm like kind of dread leaving the house or, you know, thinking of the safety stuff. But after I do it, I'm like, Oh, that was, good. I remember. Yeah. 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 It's like that. It's definitely like that.
1: Yeah. Sex and socializing.
0: I always find it so interesting when people think that in my free time, I'm going to psychoanalyze them, whether that be like my partner or friends or whatever. And like, can I always turn it off? No. And the burnout is real at the end of the day. And so after listening to people all day and thinking that way, the last thing I want to do is like do that in my personal life, which on one hand is maybe a, a good boundary, but on the other hand, um, feels like sometimes there's nothing left for the people that we care about.
1: Absolutely. It's to- it totally changed my friendships. 100%. Like on the one hand, I became really good at saying no, no. But on the other hand, like the ones closest to me get the the more no's than, than anyone else. Right. They get all the no's. Like I don't have the bandwidth after a day of full day of seeing clients. There's nothing. I can give you nothing.
0: So knowing that you were feeling that way, what do you think kept you stuck in it? Well, yeah, it's funny, Nicoletta. I um,
1: have this pattern of like getting stuck in it. And then um, I I don't know if we knew each other then. I don't think we did. In 2014, I closed my practice and moved to New York City. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. So completely closed my practice, a practice that I had built since you know, 2007. So, so you did reach a breaking point then. And we're like, I'm done. I was done. Yeah, I was. Um, I made a de- So I made the decision. Um, like September of 2013. And we didn't leave to go to New York until June of the next year. So I had about nine months to let all my clients know to terminate everybody. And I terminated I would say most of my clients, I think I had maybe like two or three that I continued working with. Because look, if you're licensed in the state of California, you can work from anywhere because your clients are in California.
0: And what did you say to them? You were like, you guys are draining me. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you made me want to quit my job. I no, thought, like, yeah. How do you explain I- that? Like, I'm, I feel like it's only sort of allowed or understood if someone's like oh i'm retiring or oh i'm having a baby or like oh i'm dying <laughs> i said i was going on a writing sabbatical mm-hmm.
1: and i was my I, I it's funny because i only had the band i was working on my musical project so i was writing music and working on the film so i was writing the film um but i when i got to new york I actually ended up getting a book deal. So it was kind of like I kind of like you, I don't know, told the universe what I wanted and I got it. And the book was actually, um, the sex positions book that I wrote.
0: And what's this one called again? This one's the classic sex positions
1: reinvented. And it's uh, over a hundred different sex positions. And the publisher was, um, the former Quiver books, um, they became Fairwinds Press and now they're Quarto they don't make sex books anymore. So.
0: Well, I'm glad they made yours. And so if you're feeling um, like things are a little bit stale or bored during your yeah. COVID times, um, go yeah. get book, order it on it, order it somewhere. If you don't want to support Amazon, find it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to support
1: Amazon, you can go to quarto books, Q U A R T O. Yeah. So anyway, I, I told people that I was going on a writing sabbatical and I wasn't, wasn't lying because I wanted to finish my film and I wanted to write some music and I just needed to, the creative process, you know, we, we, we think that like we can fill all of our hours, right? I'll see clients during these hours. I'll work on my music here. I'll write my book here, but it doesn't really work like that. Creative stuff actually needs downtime, so I need to work on see see less clients and see work on music more, you know space it out more, work writing more and so um it's it's i'd never ever I, like never ever had the correct formula on like how to how to do this up until really recently, and that's after fourteen years of being in private practice, so it just kind of was like this um, trial and error way of figuring out how, how the heck am I going to
0: do it? So what brought you back? Did you miss it? Yeah, I actually really
1: missed it. You know, it's funny. So I went, you know, we're in New York and I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to play music and I'm going to finish this film. And Oh, now I'm writing a book. And, um, I was still seeing a handful of clients and I actually missed it. I missed, I missed being in LA. I missed my office. I actually missed a lot of it. I was, you know, surprised.
0: And, um, was there some relief too, though, of just like not having to hold all that space? Like even, did the burn, did the burnout heal itself when you took that time off? It did. It did. It actually really did. But what happened
1: first was I got really sick. So I, um, you know, and, and there's people dispute whether or not this is a real thing, but my naturopathic doctor told me I had adrenal fatigue syndrome and, um, you know, that's just something that you can only really heal with rest and proper diet. And so, um, I was put on sort of a very, um, and I have autoimmune stuff. So I was put on like a very strict, like Gluten free, dairy free, um, very low alcohol, low caffeine kind of a diet um, f- to help me heal. And in the process, I became very allergic to a lot of different foods. I became allergic to like red wine and Advil, and uh, so many different allergies started popping up that like my body kind of felt like it was going a little bit crazy. So I really truly believe because of that experience that if we're not careful and if we think that, Oh, I'm powering through it, I can manage this. Our body's going to actually tell us, tell us otherwise. Yeah. Our body, body's going to say, Hey, that actually isn't going to work for you.
0: So when you were getting some of those early like symptoms of burnout, you weren't listening to your body. I must not have been because those
1: symptoms didn't, the the symptoms, the allergy symptoms and the, fatigue syndrome, didn't actually appear until I had stopped working for about, I don't know, eight months or something. So, so
0: you got you got sick and then then what happened? Yeah, I got sick. So that was
1: 2015. I, um, I just kind of spent the year 2015, um, you know, just kind of writing music. I had a couple clients. I mean, like I needed to make money still. So I kept, you know, working a little bit. Um, I was doing some other freelance writing work that was different, completely different than work that I'd ever done before. And that was kind of light and easy. And then in late 2015, early 2016, that freelance job started to get a little stressful. And I was like, no, 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 no. You know, um, I realized like I have to do, you kind of have to start gauging when things are getting stressful. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's also when I was like, you know, I have this job that I really like, my my job as a therapist, I think I now know and have the tools on how to do it in a better way.
0: And so you tried it Mm -hmm. for a while. Yeah. What changed now?
1: So, so I still, I, I'm doing it. I, I, I did the same thing again, though, it, because what happened was I, so I came back to Los Angeles in 2016. And then by 20, early 2018, my practice was full again. And it was one of those things, like I didn't, ex- one, I didn't expect it to happen so fast. I was kind of like, I, I was, I was feeling really good about it. I was feeling energized by it Two Um, because I hadn't worked for so long, like steady in New York, I was like, had bills that kind of pile had piled up by then. And so I was really hard for me to say no to the money.
0: I don't know if you feel this way too, but I also, I think folks in the helping profession, you know, we're drawn to it because we, we want to help, or maybe we have the, the resources that we'd like to share. And so there's times when I feel guilty for saying, Oh, my practice is full. Or what does full even mean? Like, yes, when my practice is full, I have other hours during the week that I could be seeing clients, there is time, but it feels like too much. There's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it would be too overwhelming to have more. And so it's hard to say no, once you kind of get that, like helping ball rolling, I feel like.
1: One hundred percent. And then, you know, a lot of my practice is referral based. So people are like, oh, but you came referred to me like at this feeling like, oh, they really want to work. with." Yeah. And
0: it's like, oh, well, this person (laughs) said I was so good to to help
1: this person, you know, And, and you just can't. You just can't, you know, I was, I had that example earlier of a client that came back and was asking a question about her partner's porn use. And I was just, I don't, I can't right now I'm not taking on any new clients. Like that has been the hardest thing for me to learn. I haven't taken on a new client in probably over a year. And that is really hard, you know, cause that's actually where I thrive is like working with new, new people. Yeah. The newness, but Um, when you're doing, you know, when you're getting into the nitty gritty of the work, sometimes, you know, it becomes harder, it becomes less fun. Um, but those are also the clients that, that I'm working with now. And I just don't have, I haven't had any space to take on a new person.
0: And And okay. So how do we avoid this from happening? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, can we avoid this from happening? Like, um, You can, I think you certainly can. I mean, it sort of sounds like when you start to feel it, it's like almost already too late. (laughs) Right. Well, if you follow the rule, the three, one client is
1: worth three hours. One hour of therapy is worth three hours. Then you're not, how many hours are you going to work in a day? Not more than seven or eight. So you're really not booking more than three clients a day. Right. Right. So for me, I used to, I used to book like eight at a certain, at sometimes, you know, and I wanted to do it that way. So I wanted my schedule to be, I want to work Tuesday,
0: Wednesday, Thursday, and just cram it all into those cram it all
1: in, And then I'd have a four day weekend.
0: Right. Yeah. But then you're like just using that weekend to like recover. We Fridays were completely waste.
1: Like I, I didn't get anything done on Fridays, creative or otherwise. Saturday and Sunday, um, those are tricky days to be creative when your partner's around and your friends want to do things and there's, you know, events in the evening and things like that.
0: So Monday, I had Monday
1: to be creative. That's what it ended up being. And then so you
0: scheduled this to have more time to be creative, but it ended up not even allowing you to take that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I went from doing eight clients a day. So I'd have about 20 clients a week thinking that that would be my, sweet points sweet, like my you know the sweet spot was 20 and then at certain point I was like no I think my sweet spot's 15 and then I was like no I think my sweet spot's more like 12 13 and that was my sweet spot for a really long time 12 13 and now it's like four or five so it's gone down significantly
0: and if someone is experiencing that, whether it be, you know, in our profession or something else, if they, if they can, I mean, I guess we've got a privilege because we, we can make that schedule and can make that distinction. Whereas Mm -hmm. other folks experiencing burnout maybe can't.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Like nurses. I think about nurses all the time when I think about burnout, especially right now, especially right now. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't even imagine what, You know, and then, and, and we do have the privilege, but maybe we don't, you know, like I didn't feel like I ever had the privilege to see less than like 20, 15 or 20 clients for on a financial level, you know, um, but I had to, because otherwise, like I was going to get, I was never going to get better. So you just, you have to, you know, do what you have to do. Um, Yeah. If you're in a profession and you have the privilege to sort of cut back your hours, um, do so. But if you don't, um, make sure you take that vacation time that they offer you. How many people don't take that vacation? Don't use all their sick days. Use those. Those are given to you. Those are time that you've already worked, right? So it's time that you've already earned. So make sure you're taking your, sick days and your vacation days and sick days also include mental health days. So, you know, um, like if you had a really, if you're a therapist and you had a really rough client last night for some reason,
0: <laughs> where are you getting that from? I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Are you talking to me? <laughs> okay so there's this hypothetical therapist me who had a rough session with some clients uh and i would say take the
1: take the next day off or at least like schedule a day off you know i it's so funny because i feel really great now but like just a couple months ago um it was like mid-august all of a sudden i felt so exhausted and it was like a thursday afternoon and i was like you know what I'm taking next week off. And, or I said, you know what, I'm going to take the following week off. And so the next week, I just told all of my clients, like I'm, I'm taking the next week off. And then I went back to work for a week and I took another week off.
0: There's a little bit of like a, almost like a narcissistic balance, um, mm. to work with, with that. Because on one hand, I think as people in a helping profession, at least I feel this way, we sort of, um, can get into this headspace of like, my clients can't live without me (laughs) or like, or like, what are they going to do without me? Or how can I take another week off? Are they going to be okay? And but that's a little bit narcissistic to think that like this one 50 minute session could make or break. But for some people who are maybe in crisis, it can feel that way. And Mm -hmm. so how do we deal in a helping profession? How do we deal with the, the guilt of taking care of ourselves?
1: Yeah, That's such a great question. And you know what, I found when I told my clients that I was feeling burnt, I told my clients I'm feeling really burnt out. I need to take some time off. I had a resounding from so many of my clients. Thank you for taking care of yourself. I'm so glad you're taking care of yourself. They were telling me exactly what I tell them.
0: And it's good modeling for them to (laughs) Mm -hmm. give themselves permission. Like, I have one client who's a like a high-end lawyer person, and she's finally taking those vacation days. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would like to think that us processing when I would go away for trips and having her feel burnt out and not take that time, that it hopefully modeled for her that she should take that time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember when I got into this profession,
1: someone told me. Yeah. Therapists, they always take the month of August and December off. And I was like, I'm so doing that.
0: Yeah, I do. And
1: I forget. And so I was glad I was reminded. So I took a week off in August. I took a week off in September and I'm taking two weeks off in December. Um, We get to do that because we work for ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. for therapists who work for themselves or anybody that works for yourself, take those time, take that time off. You will be so much more productive as a, as a person, when you come back, um, if you don't take that time off, your productive productivity is going to go down. Um, which is not all about productivity. Um, but your health is also potentially going to suffer, right. And your family and your relationships and all of the other fun things that you love to do. So.
0: I do have those people pleasing clients though, that I do notice when I say, Oh, I'm taking some time off that I I can tell that there's a slight like, I'm sorry I've like loaded you with so much that you need time off kind of sensation, you know, that we've had to process and talk about in therapy sessions, but because our, our work is so personal and it's not just like, yeah, of course you'd want to take time off of your nine to five. It's like, I need to take time off of you, my clients. And that, uh, totally normal and human and necessary. And because of how personal it is, um, I wonder if some clients, you know, it's hard for them not to take it personally or to feel abandoned or to feel, um, not important. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if,
1: I mean, there's so much more sound around therapists burnout these days that I think clients must be getting wind of that. Like, Oh, I don't want to burden my therapist,
0: (laughs) but burden us. Right. Right. We I, I, need yeah. to. They need to be able to know that we are taking care of ourselves. Yeah, we can handle it. And you know, in fact, and if we're not, then we need to figure it out. Yeah. yeah.
1: And in fact, for me, it's like if a client comes to session and they're not willing to do the work, that's more work for me. That feels more draining to me than a client who is feel who thinks they're a handful, but they're actually really willing to like dive in and do the work. Feels a lot more. Um, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, probably burns me out because it's work, but it's, uh, I get more burnt out, I think from the clients that kind of don't seem to make a lot of progress or don't seem to want to change that just want to come in and vent. Like those clients actually burn me out a lot more than clients that are really taking the deep dive and doing the work
0: and willing to show up and challenge
1: themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that work is harder, but it's less draining, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a way to approach helping professions differently so that we don't burn out as much. Like, is it does it mean taking on less of the responsibility of fixing people? Does it mean... Uh, I think now is especially hard because a lot of us are working in our home spaces. And so I know for me, there's a little bit of a toughness of like, I I pick like my therapy room and then my me room. And so I have to like either go to my office or go somewhere else because otherwise Mm -hmm. um, it's like my clients are in my personal space yeah, and then there's like no boundaries. So I think like, are there things we can do to, to ease this burnout to, to, slow it a little bit to, to avoid it a little more. Yeah.
1: I think that we can, like, I think that for me, a lot of these prescribed rules are are what's tricky for me.
0: So the 50 minute hour, let's take that for example. And so for people who don't know what that is, most therapists we've been taught that sessions are 50 minutes long, or you can request a double session or a longer session, but like, that's just sort of been like the agreed upon time. Yeah. And we kind of don't question it, right? Yeah. I feel like it's so that you can have 10 minutes in between the next hour to like do notes, but like, yeah, I've never, I like never questioned it when I first started. Yeah. So I find sometimes that that
1: works for some clients and doesn't work for some clients. So I do have different, like I have a client who really loves like a, a 30 minute Session and sometimes a 20 minute session. So we call those like micro micro sessions, micro dosing micro dosing <laughs> um, and I think that like so what really has worked for me is as being able to Um create my services outside of the box. So and, and that's tricky as a therapist Um because a lot of people want to submit their claims to their insurance companies um So it kind of probably falls more under coaching. And then there's a lot of weird gray area around that. And there's legalities. And so for me, I find that all of the like legal ethical stuff and these like rigid rules and barriers that they give us actually have caused me more, um, more damage than, you know, than being me being able to listen to myself and being like, this works for me. And this actually works for my client a little bit better. Let's do that instead of holding everybody to all these very rigid roles. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: mean, I can't speak for all the helping professions, but at least in our mental health field and, you know, some other helping professions that I'm aware of, they scare you. So they scare us so much into, um, needing to make sure we're protecting our ass ethically, legally, all of the above. And I think that, that fear can really stymie us from, thinking outside the box or or using that creativity. Mm -hmm. um, So we don't lose our license. Right. Right. As opposed to, you know, you
1: have all the knowledge that you need. You run this fabulous podcast. You know what I mean? Like there is this wild west of coaching and um, you can, there's so much you can do, you know, and especially if you're doing other things, like you ran your retreat and you, you have all of these other ways of, um, doing the same type of work. In fact, reaching broader audiences in these different capacities that you do, like the podcast and your workshops and things like that.
0: Well, and you too, with videos and, you know, yeah. And I think
1: that that's what, that's what it came down to for me was like, I can do the work one-on-one, but I can still do the work in a much broader scale too, that actually doesn't burn me out as much. Right. So, um, you know, finding what those are. And sometimes that does mean like doing something a little bit different, you know, they teach us that therapists are supposed to like work this, just be a therapist, you know, but doesn't really work that way or it it can, but it doesn't, I don't think it benefits us if we do it that way. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: So what's been most helpful for you in, in taking care of yourself to prevent that burnout or in times of burnout, like, how do you, how do you cope with that?
1: Um, like in my business in my work.
0: Yeah. Just like, what are things that are most helpful in dealing with burnout? I guess in, in any area of your life, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So, so playing
1: music and writing creatively, totally unrelated to like therapy, mental health, sex therapy, any of that stuff is the best thing for me you know, like when I get into the zone and I'm writing music with my partner or recording music, like just having that whole world, which is totally removed from this world makes such a great, such a big difference. In fact, it rejuvenates me. I'll have more energy for the, you know, the the work. And then um, I'll also have this whole other thing that I get excited about, you know, so, but it's definitely you know, it's definitely come to like, you know, this point where I'm like, well, I'm not doing the music enough. And so I'm like, well, I want to do more music. So I'm going to cut, cut back and cut back. So I've, that's helped too. It's helped me create more balance in my life. Like I do want to do more of these creative things. And so I have to
0: cut back. So what did it take for you to give yourself permission to say, it's okay to not have this be my my everything. I can cut back. I can continue cutting back. I cannot take on new clients. I can outsource to some associates. <laughs> like, how did you how did you get to that point? Um, it took me a while. Um, I've I've had associates.
1: For a while like I had associates even before I went to New York
0: and, for, and- uh, for folks listening who don't know what that is associates are basically used to be called interns they're therapists in training before we get licensed usually they work on a sliding scale and they're supervised by a licensed person like my, myself or most someone who's been in practice long enough and has the qualifications to supervise um, so they basically work under the license of someone else uh, while they're learning yeah
1: Yeah. And so I do that, which is, um, I treat those like sessions because I have to provide supervision, supervision. Um, that's one way, um, writing books, you know, um, doing YouTube was a really great, I don't do that so much anymore, but it was a really nice way of getting all this information that I had out in, in my brain out to the world, um, creating a film, um, and then creating courses, has been sort of my new endeavor. Um, And I think in 21, I'm going to focus a lot more on building the online courses um, and just having a really small, small caseload and
0: and shifting more
1: out of doing therapy to doing more coaching work.
0: How does that feel imagining that kind of lifestyle instead? Oh, I can't wait. I mean, I think I've been trying
1: to, to, to get there for a really long time. Um, and it, for me, it didn't actually like hit me until it was like critical mass. It was like, it's, it's time. Yeah. I mean,
0: something we say, I, I, guessing you use this metaphor because I feel like every therapist I know uses this metaphor, but something that I say to my clients all the time is that like airplane metaphor of, you know, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. And this is like the go-to therapy phrase about like taking care of oneself. Um, And it's hard to put it into practice sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you don't even know what you, what you want, right? Like what you want for me, it was like, I didn't really even know what I, what I wanted or why I was doing what I was doing. And so I had to get really clear about, you know, why am I doing this work and why, you know, what do I really want to be doing? So So just
0: feeling like you were kind of on like a conveyor belt and not stopping to like take stock of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How the fuck do we get off the conveyor belt? We definitely (laughs) live in a culture that like loves the conveyor belt Mm -hmm. and we're just keep going. And we're like, I got to get to this goal. And then we're there and we're like, I got to get to the next goal.
1: Ah, Right Um, A lot, a lot of like Introspection, a lot of Trips to the desert (laughs) A lot of trips to Joshua Tree Help Um, I mean and especially Now if you're, since you're probably In California, you can't fly Out of the country, but traveling Before was, was Really great way of Anytime I would travel I knew in my heart That I I needed to do other things. Like I knew that I couldn't go back into that very rigid way of treating clients, treating patients, you know, um, because I feel like when we follow that model, we become so medicalized and I'm so, so, so not a proponent of our medical model. Right. So
0: how do you view our medical model? I,
1: um, so I guess we should tell the audience what the medical model is, but basically like I, so therapy can be reduced. And I think, I think of it as very reductionary, like reduced to the medical model where you're billing insurance, um, you're measuring, you know, minutes you're, you know, and, and just another side note for anyone who's paying a therapist via insurance, let your therapist is getting low balled. Insurance companies have not raised those rates for therapists since the eighties. So most therapists that take insurance are getting paid what they were paying therapists in the eighties, which was, I was a teenager then. So, I mean, 40 years, no, 30 years ago. Right. And, um, that is insane. Therapists were making a lot of money back then, not any money now. So, so anyway, so that's the medical model. You get a diagnosis. And um, the other thing about that medical model is, if you're paying through insurance, now that information is stored somewhere in a database. So if you remember back to p- previous days before Obamacare, that you could actually get penalized if you had a pre-existing condition.
0: Yeah, I remember my mom would warn me about putting it on any doctor intake forms um, if there was any mental health stuff going on because she was like, your insurance can use it against you.
1: Yeah, so I still warn my clients about that because I would rather them not take that super bill and submit it to their insurance company unless they absolutely have to, because today with deductibles, as high as they are, you're looking at like $10,000, $15,000 deductible. That one therapy session is not going to make a dent in your deductible unless you're actually, you have some sort of medical condition. You're going to the doctor a lot and it makes, makes sense then. Um, if not, it's just, you're putting that information into a database somewhere and that's information that they don't need. That's information I don't even want to give, you know, I don't want to put a label on someone. Some people like it. Some people are like, so grateful to know that they have bipolar disorder or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> helps them finally make sense of, you know, you know, all of the ups and downs that they've been feeling all their life and whatnot. Um. And so it really varies person to person. And a lot of people really like that diagnosis code. Um, I personally don't like to give it because I think it puts people in those boxes and labels them for life and the preexisting condition and all that stuff. So
0: yeah. And feels confining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: if I could, I would have, if I, I would have liked to be a coach probably a long time ago, but coaching for all of the work that I put into, you know, going to school and getting my license just felt like, you know, and I'm like, what's the middle ground there? What's the middle ground there? You know?
0: I think the, the last thing I would love to to talk about is like, self-care. Um, and I like hate using this word now. And I think we've talked about this because Mo and I both have worked for an organization called Pineapple Support, um, that provides like stipended stuff for, for sex workers, which I've talked about on the podcast before. A term that I prefer using, um, that I've said before, probably on the podcast is self-parenting because I feel like self-care has become so overused. Um, so now it's yeah. like you said, like have a bottle of whiskey, self care, like do all the drugs I have, self care, <laughs> like care, yeah. dissociate until I can't feel anything, self care. Yeah. Um, and like, sure, sometimes that's fun and necessary and whatever. And I think a lot of self care is finding ways to actually recharge and like take care of yourself, and like how far do some of those other ways go. So, like, when you think of self-care for yourself or for your clients what are some important things to keep in mind
1: um so self-care to me is like taking care of yourself in a way that other people may not understand right and so self-care to me is it's like it's kind of like saying no is a form of of i like self-parenting saying no being the one, I mean, being the one to determine what you need yeah. in your life, not just what you need today. Like, how are you, do you need a bath? Do you need a, da-da-da? that's self-care. But like, to me, self-care is living the way that's, that's right for you. Right. Like do like not, I'm not saying it right, but just basically like doing you, your way and not
0: listening to your body and
1: yeah listening to your body listening to everything the little voice in your head that says this is what you want this is what you need and following that
0: something that keeps coming up in my head though and i don't know what you think about this but is is feeling like especially in our culture now that like self-care or self-parenting or whatever feels like a luxury that we're all kind of maybe in this like survival state or for people who can't take time off of work. What what can we tell those folks?
1: Well, if you can't take time off work and you love your job, then that's great. But if you can't take time off work and you're struggling, you know, what always helped me at my jobs was, um, community, like the people. And so I feel like the networks that we build, the social networks, calling a friend, calling a family member, right now we can't like socialize with people, so it's even harder. Um, But reaching out to people, I think that you care about and who care about you more so than you normally would, I think can really help with that. And making the time to do that.
0: Connecting with people and finding community.
1: Yeah, connecting with people, finding community, I think you can still like, there's all sorts of things online that you can get involved with, you know, if you want to expand your communities and meet people and things like that. Um, cause those are, that's a huge form of self care for people, you know, is, and if you're stuck at home and you can't see your friends, figuring out some ways to like, maybe go and see one friend or two friends that have been healthy. Um, Not that they've been necessarily quarantining, but maybe they haven't been seeing too many people also, you know. Totally. I think you can slowly do that with, you know, with care, with caution. Um, I don't want anyone to get COVID, obviously.
0: And also just normalizing that, if you're feeling extra burnt out during this time that it's like so normal given everything that's going on and sure maybe it's an indicator that you can or need to change something in your life but this is a long time for all of us to be in like a state of high stress and anxiety and those hormones that happen when we're stressed like cortisol and adrenaline we've all been in that state for so long and like it really fucks you up like you were talking about the adrenal syndrome and so Mm -hmm. I think knowing that where we're all at right now, just trying to get through the day, most of us just have less resources to like deal with the other shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in a place where you can go outside and take a walk, do that, right? Get some, get out into the fresh air. Hopefully there's no fires happening where you are. I know that there's some pretty big fires happening in parts of California right now.
0: Yeah. Literal, emotional, metaphorical fires. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and um but if you
1: can go outside I, I truly recommend getting out in nature sun you know sand dirt trees <laughs> just roll around in the dirt just roll around in the dirt hug a tree like really get naked and hug a tree I'm a fan of that
0: <laughs> okay that'll be the top self-care tip get naked and hug a tree I'm for it.
1: <laughs> yeah get naked and hug a tree
0: that's how you prevent burnout (laughs) simple solution
1: well you know there's you you probably know this but the negative ions they said there's negative ions like in the ocean in the sand when you put your feet like on green grass um so it actually does have this effect of grounding uh, grounding yeah
0: yeah I'm definitely a big fan of like bare feet on on the nature yeah just make sure
1: there's no dog poop
0: (laughs) Because of course in 2020, that would happen. You go outside to get grounded and you just step into a big pile of shit. Yeah. 2020. (laughs)
1: 2020. Yeah. Dog poop in the grass.
0: (laughs) Mo, thank you so much. This is, it's been so wonderful to to have you and get to talk to you about all this stuff. And so I want to say, usually I would say like, how can people find you to hire you? But it sounds like it's like, don't find her to hire her but how can people support the other projects that you're that you're turning into now like video and book and creative stuff so support your associates
1: yeah so um we do provide um sex therapy um my associates are they're great
0: um, I can vouch for that. They're awesome.
1: Yeah, they're great. Um, Los Angeles sex is the website where you can find all of that information. Also, if you go to my Instagram, Los Angeles sex therapy, um, I have links to my courses. Um, and you can go to my personal website, which is motion but just go to Los Angeles sex therapy, Instagram, and it'll send you to my website and my books are there. And that's how you can find that stuff. And then if you want to hear my music stuff, it's um, Gosha, G-H-O-S-H-A, dot bandcamp.com, or you can find us on Spotify.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. And I guess one other resource I would add in there, um, it's on my to-do list to read. it's so funny because so many of these self-help books are like the things that we need to read to actually motivate us to do the thing. So we like, don't get to it. And we're like, I know I need to read this, but I probably wish I could read it first to give me motivation. So this one's um, called Burnout by Emily Nagoski, who's a Mm-hmm. From our guests on the podcast. Um, it's come highly recommended. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard great things. Uh, and if you want to follow what I'm doing, you can follow me on Instagram at sluts and scholars on Twitter at sluts scholars. Feel free to send your questions to sluts and scholars at gmail.com. And if you're not feeling too burnt out, it's always helpful for me to leave a review or whatever, wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning in and take care of yourself. this weekend.